0: Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. As we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone. As he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On This episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the legendary Bite of Blue. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone.
1: Welcome to the Boone Podcast. Today in the program, we sit down with a six-time All-Star and a three-time World Series champion. He was the first pitcher ever to start an All-Star game in the National and the American League. He did that in 1971 and 1978. Ladies and gentlemen, Vita Blue. Vita, welcome to the program.
2: (laughs) Thanks a lot, Booty. I'm glad to be on, man. You sound good. How you doing?
1: I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you coming on. It's been a long time.
2: Yeah, man. I think last time I saw you, might have been at the golf tournament in Monterey for for the Safeway company.
1: Yeah, that was right after I retired. That was probably ten or twelve years ago. <laughs> I got a, I got a quick right off the top. I got a quick question for who's the last switch hitter to win the American League MVP?
2: <laughs> hey man, somebody looked that thing up, and uh, it, it made me infamous, you know, within the baseball ranks. Well, what happened is, you know, I do. I I'm, I'm, I pitch left-handed, but I eat right-handed. I I play golf right-handed. When I had hair, I used to comb my hair right-handed. But I did go to bat maybe once or twice right-handed. So I did switch hip once upon a time. And of course, you know the the powers that be don't want you batting if you're left-handed the pitcher. They don't want you batting right-handed because that that lead arm is your throwing arm, and that that's what's exposed to to a uh, throwing baseball, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm, I'm not sure if I can get out of the way setting up there right-handed anyway. So, But, yeah, that's, that's a good one, man. I, I've, I've had hundreds of people tell me that they've made money off that in the bar, you know, when they be doing the sports trivia. So nobody's reached in the pocket to give me their cut yet. But, uh, yeah, that, that's true. I'm the last American League switch hitting MVP.
1: That was 1971. You won the Cy, Cy Young that same year. No, because they came to me and they asked the question, you know, and people ask you these, these silly questions all the time. And, you know, I mean, obvious. If I'm not really going to spend some time on it, there's some obvious choice. You know, uh, Chipper Jones comes to mind. Uh, Eddie yeah, Murray. Right. And, Murray. and they're saying, no, no, no. And I said, well, what is this trick question? I said, I, said I had no idea Vita hit. <laughs> lefty and righty but but they they got me too they got me too
2: hi <laughs> right, man that's that's a good one though i appreciate you putting it back out there for your listeners
1: yeah it's it, that's a, that's a good question i've got i've got another one too and i i think you like this as well yeah i played uh in 2000 2001 uh ichiro Suzuki came over from Japan and right. it was it was a really interesting not only the fanfare that he brought from Japan and the press and the the daily thing we we shot a commercial and I shot a commercial with him and of course on the back of my jersey I had Brett because Ichiro unbeknownst to me I, I'm thinking as a big league player at the, time, at the time I probably had eight or nine years in the big leagues and right. I'm thinking I don't I don't remember anybody putting their first name only on their jersey I remember Pele doing it, and then there was Ichiro, but there was another one. I think there's one besides that, but Vita Blue did it. Tell me about how that came to be.
2: Well, you know, the owner of the team, uh, well, you don't know him, but I'm just saying the owner of the team, Charlie Sandler, was notorious for doing all kind of crazy stuff, specifically the loud and crazy uniforms that we had. And, uh, you know, we had Blue Moon Odom, the right-handed pitcher from Macon, Georgia. Catfish Hunter. Jim Catfish Hunter was from uh, Hertford, North Carolina. We had Bert Campy Campanaris. We had a guy on our team named Jumbo Jim Nash, the big right-handed pitcher from Missouri. And he had given all these players nicknames. So he comes to me and said, listen, I want you to change your name to Vita True Blue. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, man? And then I grew up in Louisiana and I'm named after my dad. I'm Vita Blue Jr. And, and the irony of this whole thing is that my father passed, which happens to a lot of kids, you know, 17, 18-year-olds, uh, their senior years in high school. My father passed my senior year in high school. So he never saw me play pro ball, let's know, you know, after I made it to the majors. So I tell Mr. Phyllis, look, man, I'm not going to change y'all to my name. This is my father's name. And he, he thought enough of me as his son to give me his name. So I'm not going to change it. change my name to no true blue. So it gets out into the press and sure enough, you know, while you're warming up and taking BP and stuff, the kids start calling me true blue. I'm like, Hey, don't call me that. My name is Vida. So as it turns out, the equipment manager for the, I don't know, I don't know for some reason, he took it upon himself. He, he must took it, he took it personally, and he took it upon himself. I don't know if you have to go to the commissioner's office or what, but I go in the locker room one day, and Fighter was on my uniform. I'm like, oh, now that's cool now. That was cool. But, uh, you know, I did it despite Mr. Philly. And uh, I, I, there's one person that still calls me true blue today, and that's George Brett. I can be at an old timers game or one of those events where you're playing golf with the alumni. And if somebody would yell, true, true, true. And I know it's got to be fucking George Brett, man. <laughs> he's the only person that still calls me true, Blue, to this day. Uh, every now and then, Amos Otis would drop in a true. But George Brett, if he sees me, he's calling me true. That's the first damn thing he's going to say. But, uh, yeah, that that's the story. And uh, and that's how it came about. And, uh, actually, my brother back in Louisiana called me one day. Say, said, hey, tell me this. i got this argument with these guys. Ichiro's not the first guy with his first name on his uniform. And I said, no, I had my first name on my uniform. I think it happened in 73, it was. But uh, I got traded to the Giants in 78, and Chili Davis, the uh, hitting instructor most recently for the Mets, he had Chili on his uniform, and and for some reason they made him take it off, and he had to uh, go back to uh, using the one with Davis on it. But, uh, yeah, I, I was the first player with his first name on his uniform, too, and that's pretty cool. But, hey, let me tell you, Ishiro is well-deserved. Man, he could play. He could play. Yeah. I've watched him hit balls like he's halfway to first base with his leg in there and slapping balls down the left field line. I'm like, how the hell you do that?
1: He, he but, definitely. Uh, I'm sure
2: he was a great player, and I'm sure uh, you have to be thrilled to get a chance to – to see him play on a day-to-day basis, man, he was a heck of player. Or still is a heck of player. But obviously, we tired now.
1: He was uh, he was definitely interesting. He changed the dynamic. I think he made people as defenders change how they defend because it wasn't the speed. He you know, it wasn't the speed. He was fast. But you're right. It was yeah. the technique. I mean, he was a step and a half out of the box as he was making <laughs> contact, and next thing you know, you know, he hits a routine ground ball to short, and it's like safe. And you got the shortstops have been doing this their whole life. Go wait a minute. When I pick it up, when I when somebody hits me that ball at that trajectory, I pick it up and I throw it. They're out. Even the fastest guys are out. So they right, did, right, especially right. early on for Ichiro. They had to. The defenses had to kind of rework and rethink how they defended him. It, it was kind of fascinating to watch, but to the Ichiro, the name on the uniform. A, as teammates, you know, Ichiro has a, a real good sense of humor. He, he understands a lot more English than people people think. <laughs> even back then, when he first came to the states and to Major League Baseball. Uh, but we had a pretty good – you know, we didn't think about it. We just said, oh, he's Ichiro. I don't know. He's been Ichiro Japan. Let him do whatever he wants as long as he gets on base ahead of us. You know, as long yeah, as on base. When I come there. up, I'm yeah. happy with it. But for guys like you, you had to be laughing because it, it doesn't it seem as we go <laughs> on in life and, and we get these life experiences, we get a little older, I'm getting a little older, we're all getting a little older. We think whatever is happening yeah. – we think what's ever happening today—it's the first time it's ever happened. So I'm sure when Ichiro came up, and he had that thing in his uniform, Vita Blue, sitting at home somewhere, laughing, going, <laughs> do "You think he invented this?" <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but and, and like you said, I, I, you know, like a lot of the Latin players come over with their interpreters. They speak a lot more English than than they uh, let on. Today, I think they just do it to make a fool out let's let us make fools of ourselves. And they sit there laughing at us because they do speak a lot of English or, or Japanese or Chinese or whatever the case, or Korean, whatever the case might be, man. But, uh, he was fun to watch and, uh, he's no doubt it. Definitely uh hall of fame in my, my opinion, you know, born and raised in Louisiana.
1: Tell me about your childhood,
2: man. It was a small town in Northwest Louisiana. I grew up near, Streetport, Louisiana, man, it's, which is close to the Arkansas border on the on then to the north and to the west was Texas. I could go to Texas, drive to Texas across the Sabine River within like thirty minutes, man. But I played sports. That was the only only thing I had to hold on to, man. You know, it was chimes of rough back in that in that little town and it's but it's home. It's it's where my life got started as an athlete and as a person and and mo most specifically as a grown man. And I, uh, I grew up without a father. Like I said, I'm the oldest of six kids. So, uh, my two younger, my sister, no, I have four sisters, sister number four and child number six. And my brother's, uh, the only brother I have is child number five. He and my baby sister, uh, they're, I'm more like a uncle slash father to them. I'm more like that, that I'm a brother to them because, they were the younger of the of the uh, six of us uh, after my as when my father passed away and uh, so they don't they don't remember nothing he did but my dad worked in a steel mill man and uh, that was a hard he did that stuff for 20 years just to provide for his his uh, wife and kids and uh, I think I got the work ethics from him he never missed a day of work for 20 years going Monday through Friday going to that steel mill and giving it all he had man.
1: You went to Desoto High School, yeah. And I, yeah, yeah. I hear, I hear, you're a pretty good quarterback. Now, I think, I think Bradshaw's from that same neck of the woods. Am I correct?
2: Yes, he is. Bradshaw and and uh, Burke Jones and Joe Ferguson, all those guys. Uh, Shaq Harris is from that area. Uh, uh, who else? Another quarterback? Oh, uh, Doug Williams is from that area. He went to Grambling University. But I'd be at the right thing, but I. I uh, baseball, I got drafted during during the June draft and uh, uh, after my father passed, I was still in a state of shock and still grieving his loss and uh, my mom wanted to know what I was going to do and my my high school girlfriend, man, said, hey, you got to do something, man. It got me out of my doldrums and I went to a little J.C. college, wasn't playing sports, just trying to get my mind right and I got drafted in the June draft to play baseball and uh, I Took the chance. Uh, the A's drafted me. They were I got drafted as a member of the Kansas City A, and the A's moved the franchise from local uh, from Kansas City to Oakland that year in 67 or 68. I'm not sure which year it was, man. But the rest is history. I'm glad I played baseball. I got a chance to uh, play and pitch against some great guys. I pitched to your dad. I pitched to Mike Smith. Mike Smith hit his 400 home run off me in candlestick park remember candlestick park
1: man oh i do yeah. i do and we just had uh we had will clark on the program i think oh, a week ago thrill,
2: Clark, yeah.
1: well the thrill and and we had those candlestick people don't understand that never played at candlestick it's called you know you guys <laughs> as the guys that play we just call it the stick we're going to the, the
2: stick absolutely stick.
1: it's the a, it's to a stick. different animal it's a different animal
2: it was it was to baseball what Alcatraz is to prisons.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. I've never heard it, but I've never heard that analogy. That is that is accurate. You never knew what it was going to do, and I and and I asked Will this, and I said, you know. Today's players and all the bat flips, and we watch and pitchers celebrate, hitters celebrate. <laughs> I said, "At Candlestick, you better never stand there because I've hit balls 440 <laughs> feet that don't go out, and I've hit pop ups that somehow in Candlestick, where those crazy <laughs> winds are, just goes into seats." And I'm going, "I, I didn't expect no that." So kid, you
2: man, no kidding, no kidding for sure. So if you you know what's going on, if you've ever played Candlestick Park, you don't take nothing for granted there. Like I say, you. And uh the most frustrating I ever saw a guy was Jack Clark. So he would hit a ball and and uh, you know, he'd go into his little trot, left field is running in to make the catch and and uh that win on any given day, man, any given night. And at one time they played a lot of day games because, you know, it would be so cold at night, they were trying to uh get, you know, drum up the attendance, figure people come out when the sun was shining. But on any given, on any given day, man, that fog to roll in around 3 o'clock, and it would be a rough day if, if you weren't used to that type of climate. It was damp, cold, and windy, and that, those are three ingredients for a lot of balls going astray on that infield when you get those infield pop-ups, man.
1: It was a scary but, uh, place, and I, I think
2: – my time up the stick. I think, too. I, I mean, if you're, if
1: you're a member of the Giants, it's almost like it was a home field advantage because – you guys just had to, you know, at certain point you got to come to grips with whether we like it or not. This is our home, so let's turn yeah, it into a positive for us. Because I know coming in as a coming in as a visitor, and you know you take you, you dress in right field, and you take that walk across the field. And once that <laughs> game starts, you're kind of trapped. You know they they yeah, no, they, yeah. they you didn't put the nowhere. they didn't put the proper plumbing in the visiting dugout. <laughs> there is, <laughs> there is a and urinal all those
2: hot dogs wrappers they twirled around they came past the first base dugout which was the home side but they'd end up in the third base dugout on the visitor side man with mustard and stuff on them so I could imagine what that was like uh luckily I I was there just as the home player and I had the uh we had a heater in our dugout it was just a steam pipe obviously with holes drilled into it but you could feel the steam coming up your back and hitting you on your butt but it was it was it was rough for the home players too but like you say it was a whole trail advantage because we uh, we would laugh at the guys from Atlanta coming in with those football parkers on. And uh, that win, it, it could change your mind, man. It would definitely change your mind. But uh, the stick, and I, I'm glad I got a chance to be a part of that at one time in my major league career. I, I got a chance to experience the stick.
1: So you mentioned earlier, in 67, you get drafted by the Kansas City A's at the time, uh, your second-round pick. And – you said that was a tough time in your life. Your 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 dad had passed away. Uh, I heard you were quite a football player, by the way, and you had offers to college. Did you ever consider going that route, going the football route, or even playing both, or or was always now nah, I got to sign? Baseball is my passion.
2: Uh, baseball was the easiest thing. The 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 reason being, you know, I was offered a, a signing bonus, so my thinking was you know, I got to become the breadwinner. Now my thinking is if I signed the contract, that would be a source of income. My dad didn't have a pension plan working in a steel mill for 20 years. So, uh, the, the thinking was, and I shared this with my mom who is no longer with us that, uh, it would be a, you know, we could renovate the house cause we were getting older and, and, uh, I was leaving the nest as an adult, but, uh, still, you know, it would make life better for, for the siblings coming after me. And, uh, she agreed, so we signed the baseball contract, got the bonus, renovated our house, and and uh, my brother and sister still live in the house, man, in that little town that I grew up in. Beautiful Mansfield. As a matter of fact, I'm scheduled to go back on the first of July to visit my family and, and see some of my, my buddies, man. It's gonna be a fun time.
1: Very cool. So you signed with the A's. Um Tell me about that adjustment. You go from you know, uh, we, we've had so many people on the program, and we talk about signing out of high school versus signing out of college, and there uh-huh. is a big difference. I have a son right now that just signed, uh, you know, out of college last year, and. A little easier. I signed out of college, and I was twenty years old when I went to to a bot. But I think there's a big difference between being twenty, being eighteen, and it all. It's all up to the individual. But how is that going from high school ball? Now it's your job.
2: Well, it, it was total learning experience for him. I was the, in the headlights, man, and and of course my town back in the early '60s, late '60s. The ta- my town was segregated. uh, and, you know, I lived on this side of town, and everybody else lived on that side of town. But, you know, I I was told by one of my high school coaches, son, just go there keep your mouth shut and do your job. And that's what I did. But uh, I played with, you know, Italian players, guys from Venezuela, guys from Cuba, guys from Puerto Rico, guys from Dominican, guys from New York, guys from all over the world. And, and it did become my job. And uh, I uh, I just – jumped at the opportunity to uh, learn about myself and learn about different cultures. And uh, I played with my first year in a ball, this guy named George Hendricks got drafted by the A's too. And uh, we were in the Midwest league in Burlington, Iowa, man. And uh, he won the band title. I think he hit like 350 without trying and uh, easy George Hendricks, man. He was a heck of a player and a heck of a teammate. And, uh, but it, it was, it was a, I think obviously when you go to college, you get some exposure and you you have to show some maturity because of the situation that you're in, in college. But uh, when you're 18, and you're leaving home for the first time, and uh, you know you're as green as a green apple behind the ears. You just try to, as I as I said, keep your mouth shut, do your job, and listen and learn. And that was that was something that I kept with me from uh, as I said, one of my high school coaches gave me that advice before I left town trying to seek my fortune as a professional baseball player, man. I'll
1: tell you what, it didn't take you too long. You you make your debut in 69, although brief, uh, you're there. You're in the big leagues at 19 years old, 1970, fast forward. You you pitch a (laughs) no-hitter. You barely – you don't have a year in the big leagues yet. You already got a no-hitter. Tell me about that. You you no-hit, I believe it was the Twins. (laughs) The Tony Oliva yeah, and, and was, was the
2: Minnesota Twins with Oliva, Killebrew, Rock, Carew, Cesar, Tovar. I, I'm not sure if Bobby Allison was still on the team at the time. Uh, but I don't know, man. It was just, you know, I was rewarded with the chance to, to uh, come to the big leagues after, in 1970 after coming up in 69. And I had been in the American Association for the whole year. I'm not even, I don't remember what my record was, but, uh, I had a good season there and, uh, I came up with gene tennis, my battery mate and, uh, uh, obviously a teammate. And, uh, I don't know. It was, it was just, you know, the stars lined up for me, Brad, and, uh, the, you know, some good things were happening for me. And the next, that next season, that following the 70s, 70, 70 season, 71 season, I was, uh, promoted to the big league I made the team out of spring training but what happened was I was in the on the reserves and I went to Fort Bragg North Carolina over the winter time and running with that backpack and that rifle and those boots I was in the best shape of my life and the opportunity presented itself for me to make the team in 71 and I didn't mean to fast forward to jump ahead of it, but uh that's when I had a had a a great season God, something that I wish every player could experience being at the top of your game like I was in 71, and it's something that I obviously always remember and, and obviously never forget, man. It was, it was a great time for me.
1: I'd say 71, you go 24-8, and, and you have a 1-8 ERA. You win the MVP, you win the Cy Young, and you start the All-Star game. You're on the cover of SI and Time magazine all in one year. I mean that'll that'll turn your world upside down. What was like? What was that like going through it?
2: Again, man, it's still this little kid from Mansfield, Louisiana, had done some good things and was experiencing life at its at its fullest. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, to be on the cover of those magazine, who would have thought it that this kid from Mansfield, Louisiana, would go to great such heights? And uh, I kind of took it all in stride. It didn't change me. Uh, I was very humble and I still am about accomplishing all that stuff. And I know that I've put in a lot of hard work, but, you know, this combination of having good teammates and, and good success and good things happening to me all at one time, and uh, I uh, I just took it all in stride. At least I tried to, but, you know, to start the All-Star game with Doc Ellis was starting for the Pirates, and that was the first time two African-American pitchers had started the All-Star game in uh, in big league history. So I was... Want to be a part of some other his, historical stuff, man. I'm always glad to make history in a positive way. Now, in a very positive way.
1: Unbelievable, and and yeah, that's. I mean, like you said, you, you wish everybody could experience it. That just just a dream year, and and we get to seventy two, and now you sit out. Is, it, what's what's the deal behind that? It, would, Charlie wouldn't pay you, or what's the yeah, reason you on, briefly man. sat out in ninety two?
2: Boone, right, two. I'm Boone, as you mentioned, I'm twenty four and eight with a one eight two ERA. I had eight shutouts, three hundred innings, three hundred strikeouts, and this guy didn't want to budge, man. And Reggie Jackson had experienced this, the same thing a year two prior to me holding out. So now I've got to stick to my guns and I was one of the first players on the A's to our agent, and he took, he was offended by me hiring an agent. I'm like, I'm 20 years, I'm 21 years old, and you're a business tycoon and been doing this stuff your whole life. I got to have some, some professional representation. And we couldn't get the numbers worked out, and we got commissioned. Bowie Ko, was still commissioned at the time. He met with us, and uh, Mr. Finley had an had a, uh, office in Chicago. So I fly to Chicago with the Drake Hotel. Trying to iron this thing out, we never did come to to an agreement, and uh, I, so I got a hole out. And of course, I want to play baseball. This is my whole life, and this is, you know, something I enjoy doing. And having had success, that I want to get back out there, man. And it's I think I held out for like ten days or two weeks. Luckily, we had a strike in uh, in '72, and uh, but we finally got it ironed out. And this is what he did, man. We reach an agreement, come to some good numbers. So now he gets the money back by putting me on the disqualified list, saying that I was unable to participate in the big league game and I was out of shape until I got myself in shape. He didn't have to pay me. And that is a rule. And this guy was so shrewd, man. He was, I mean, he was great for the game with his innovation of the uniforms and the white shoes and all that stuff. And he wanted to have the Orange Baseball. I'm not sure if you've heard that story, but he was a character. And I I don't speak ill of the dead, but I used to tell people that Charlie Finley was a combination of Al Davis from the Raiders, George Steinbrenner from the Yankees, Ted Turner from the Atlanta Braves, and Donald Trump all into one. He had all those different personalities, man. He was that shrewd, but uh, hey, what can I say? He's the person that gave me a chance to play Major League Baseball, and I'll always be indebted to him for that. Uh, may you rest in peace.
1: 72, you guys, the, the Oakland A's, you, you win the World Series 72, 73, and 74. I think we, we always hear about – the, the Yogi Berra, you know, in the in the Yankees of the 50s, right, big red, right. mach- big red machine in the late 70s, that late that late 90s Yankees dynasty that won, I think, four in, in a matter of five or six years. Do you guys think you guys get, get enough credit? Because those early seventies days teams were about as good as it gets.
2: Well, I've seen the, uh, I think it might have been SI that came out with the top 20 teams of all time. And they had the Reds that we beat, the 72 Reds, they had them 10th, and I think we might have been 14th or something out of that top 20 all-time teams. And I I don't, that's not justice for us, man. But uh, I think we get overlooked because we didn't do it with a lot of fans. We did it with solid defense and the truest form of, Defense in itself is pitching. We had good pitching. And, of course, with Catfish Hunter and Ken Holstman and and, uh, and myself, the big three Blue Moon Odom was, was that fourth starter. And he, he was the swing man as a long reliever out of the bullpen sometimes. But we had this guy named Raleigh Phoenix, which solidified our, our rotation and had Daryl Nose from the left side. So we did it with good pitching, you know, and, and playing solid defense. And uh, – playing uh, small ball and execution and advancing runners and, and taking extra bases. But, but uh, I played for Dick Williams, who was a stickler on defense and playing the game right. You know, he wants you to hit the cutoff, man. He wants you to get an out on any given play. You know, right? just do the right thing. And as old Coach Belichick in football said, Dick Williams was saying this a long time ago, just do your job. Just do your damn job. And uh, he, he instilled that in us, man, and uh, and it worked out. And I was so fortunate to be in the World Series at age 22, 23, and 24 in 1974. And we beat the Reds, obviously, in 72 and beat the, the Mets. And I think the Mets might have played us the toughest because they had Seaver and Kuzman and Craig and Swan and Nolan Ryan and Tuck McGraw at that time. And uh, they matched up pretty good with our pitcher, but we were able to squeeze squeak it out. And of course, I think the biggest thrill of all, I enjoy beating the Dodgers with the Interstate California World Series, and we beat them four out of uh, four out of five, I think it was.
1: Very cool. Now, and we jump ahead to '76. There's Finley again. He's trading you to the Yankees. <laughs> but but then there's Coon uh, jumping in, saying, Bowie Coon, saying now." I, I can't approve this trade. Take me through that. I think that the well, people listening to the Boone podcast will be very interested just in the history of the well, game. Well,
2: what happened was the uh, the Yankees wanted a left handed pitcher, and I was available. I hadn't signed my contract, and the Red Sox were in town. So you know, like the Yankees and Red Sox do not when one does a deal, the other counters and does something trying to keep up or say equal, equal or uh, even with them. So the Reds, the Boston Red Sox, were in Oakland. So I had been bickering with Mr. Philly and with my agent and stuff. So he called my agent and said, hey, I, I got a deal for Vitus. So this was before the, the boo podcast and sports talk radio. So he said, <laughs> my agent called and said, look, we got some numbers ironed out. da 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 So you can go down. So I leave my home up in the Oakland Hills. I drive to the ballpark. I go in and meet Mr. Phil. He's very cordial and professional, and I sign the contract. So, on the on the, the hourly news, I'm driving back. I hear I've been traded to the New York Jets I'm like, what the hell this son of a buck has done now? By the time the ink dried, he had already had. I'm sure that Steinbrenner, the deal was. Look, we want blue, we'll work to deal, but he has to be signed. And so Philly pulled a fasten on me and my agent to have me sign the contract. Now, granted, Boston was in town, Rudy and Fingers, he he ate or six that deal too. They couldn't go nowhere. So we were like in limbo for like a week. And nobody knew what was gonna happen. Mr Mr. Bowie Kuhn did not approve the deal saying that that he was you know, weakening the chances of the Oakland A's to be a competitive team and that I had to stay in Oakland and that Rudy and Fingers uh, had to stay in Oakland the remainder of the season. But they hadn't signed contracts. So now they're free agents. Rudy goes to the Angels and Gino goes to the Padres. And having signed the contract and of course the, the league honored me signing the deal so I'm stuck in Oakland for another couple of years. And that's when it just everything went south. I, I really felt bad about him pulling the wool over me and my agents uh, by doing what he did and having me sign a contract, having already made a deal to for me to be traded to. Actually, had I gone to Yanks, I'm not sure I would have enjoyed that Not. It takes a special breed of person to play in New York City where the lights are bright every night, man.
1: Well, it's interesting, too, because he thinks, OK, he gets invited down to the ballpark, sign the contract. <laughs> he's already got this deal out the door, so he ain't got to deal with Vida anymore, right? Except yeah, for yeah, the, deal. Yeah. the deal boomerangs on him. So now he's <laughs> coming at spring training. He's, he's got to come down and look you in the eye and go, hey, and that couldn't have been a good thing. And that probably, as, as you explained, that, that wasn't sitting very well with you. Uh, that's a a, a kind of a disgruntled employee.
2: Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, we we probably could have challenged it and called it collusion. And who knows, you might've still been in the courtroom today. If, if, if it had not ever worked out the way it did, but, uh, luckily he got rid of me and I went to the Giants, which was a luxury of me staying in the area. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm lucky to have a fan base. In the West Bay, over on the San Francisco side, and have a big fan base here on the Oakland side, so it worked out for the best. And uh, but you know, you got to just in the back of my mind, just you know, what would it what would it have been like to be playing for the New York Yankees, the world's one of the world's most famous sports franchises anywhere? You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it, and the the thing about Coon or the thing about uh, Finley. Finley. He wasn't done yet. I, 78, he traded you to the Reds. That got nixed. And finally, I guess Bowie Coon decided that when you got traded to the Giants, the compensation was pretty big. It was seven players and cash, and I guess Bowie said, oh, okay, well, that's yeah, a fair but, deal. But Can you none, imagine? None, though,
2: cash, but, none of the cash went in my pocket, though. <laughs>
1: no, no, but it's amazing how – Back in those days, that time in baseball history, you had a commissioner of baseball deciding what was a good deal and what wasn't a good deal.
2: Yeah, he was, he was deciding the fate of the players. Well, what happened also that same year after he mixed my deal to Cincinnati, he allowed Seward, Tom Seawood to go from the Mets to the, to the big red machine. So I'm like, well, what the hell is going on here? Course, He's the that, Almighty now. He's that's the Almighty. Lost, yeah, I, I got screwed twice, man. More three times to tell the truth. But uh, as as I say now, Booney, I'm I'm all content with my life, and uh, I did 17 years. So, hey man, I I have decent health. So uh, I have kids and grandkids, and life is good for Vita right Blue these days.
1: So you go to the Giants play there from 78 to 81. You go 18 and 10. Your first. Your first year in uh, San Francisco. You were the first. You were the first pitcher to start an all star game in both the American League and the National League. How cool was that?
2: That was, that was, uh, that was, that's pretty cool. That, like I said, if, you, if you're setting records and making history, that's always a good thing in a positive way for sure. And uh, I remember the game, I think the game was in San Diego, and I was the starting pitcher. And uh, I think I gave up a triple to maybe two triples. I gave up triple to Rod Carew, and uh, he was one of those left-handed hitters that hit left-handed pitching like he was, you know, the guy had won six batting titles, so he was going to get his share of hits regardless. As, whether you're left-handed or right-handed or whether you threw in a split finger or a change-up, he, he was a, definitely a bona fide hitter.
1: After after three years with the uh, Giants, you move on to Kansas City uh, and you play there in 82 and 83. And in 83, you get released. And and this is where it comes to tell me what happened. You you don't play the 84 season because you got suspended well, by, I got, once yeah, again, I got who was it? Bowie game. Coon.
2: Well, uh, I'm not, was Bowie Coon still the commission at that time in 83? I'm not I sure think, if he was. I think well, he was. Well, this, this, we had an issue that happened in, in Kansas City with some other players and myself. I'm the oldest of the three, and it had to do with with illicit drugs. So, you know, you make bad choices in your life, and you pay for them. So I took that year off, and I went to Puerto Rico and played played winter ball in in 84. I'm sorry, yeah, the winter of 83, and I came back. And I played in 84. 84, 85. Was I was not suspended in 84. I know. Eight, I, suspended I, suspended in
1: 84.
2: 84. Okay, so I was suspended in 84. And I went to play winter ball the winter of 84, and I came back, and the Giants took a look at me, and I made that. They, they didn't have that good of a team. So they had a whole bunch of guys. So I made their team out of spring training, and uh, they said, Would you get you out of the book? And I'm like, Yeah, what the hell? I just, I wanted to come back to play. And you know I had a couple more years in the tank, but the bottom line is I wanted to come back and I wanted to walk away from the game on my own terms. And I played '85 and I played the '86 season, and and that was it. I had enough, and I I I walked away on my terms and not on baseball's terms.
1: A hell of a career. You come back to to the Giants like you said for your for your final two years. You retire. Uh, you go to the A's Hall of Fame in two thousand nineteen, and and in two thousand eight, you're also uh, selected to the Giants Wall of Fame. Um, tell me about those two. Getting that phone call and and just telling you
2: the news. Well, you 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 really, you know, I, I'm such a laid back guy when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know. But of course, you're appreciative of of your accolade, of your accomplishments and accolades that come with it. And uh, to be in the A's Hall of Fame is pretty cool. Obviously, it's where I started my career, and to have done it on, gotten the the, the, uh, the call from the Giants, that's pretty cool too. uh I mean, they don't have to do these things for you, and uh, it says that I did something right within my life and career, on and off the field, and it's being recognized by the two teams that I that I gave a lot of my career to. So, again, you know, they're, they're Oakland A's fans that like Vita Blue, and they're San Francisco Giants fans that like Vita Blue, but they're Vita Blue fans that like Vita Blue, and I'm very appreciative of all three of those. So uh, I've had it good, my friend, and uh, like I said, I wouldn't change a thing in my career. I made some bad choices, but that doesn't make me a bad person, and uh, my life goes on. Today's game...
1: You know, it's a different game. I sit back and I watch. You know, the two thousand twenty one version, and I, I love I love a lot of things about it. A lot of things I'd like I'd like to be you know see be done differently. But one thing that really is is undeniable is the is the modern day athlete and the the physicality of these players. They're just getting bigger. They're they're getting stronger. They're getting faster. Doesn't necessarily mean yeah. they're getting Getting better, but from a physical standpoint, these guys are—you know—they're training year-round, and they've got nutritionists. I mean, it's all great stuff,
2: right? You, yeah, can, you can the personal trainer that that goes with them, and yeah, everybody's—they're so conscientious of their bodies, and and they are bigger, faster, stronger. But uh, there are some things I don't like. I don't like the, the the rule at home plate where you can't slide into home plate, and the catcher can't block home plate. I don't like you can't slide into second base where you as an infielder, you may not care about that. But when you can break up a double play, you, sh- you should be able to do that legally, you know. And well, I'll tell you, they're, second they're,
1: base, I, I, I take big offense to that, that rule because that's where I define myself as a great second baseman. Anybody can turn a double play when they can't take you out. You might as well have a third baseman, yeah, maybe a left, fiel- left a right fielder turn can turn it.
2: Right
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not. Hey, why don't we bring the catcher out there? He'll be able to turn a double play if if you ain't got any heat on you, you know. And and I think the great 2nd basemans, basements—that's where we earned our stripes—is with our back to the to the runner, him barreling down on us. Hopefully, it's not Hal McRae,
2: but, yeah, okay. but Don Baylor.
1: Right. To turn that big double play with everything on the line and walk off that field smiling, that's where I felt that I could separate myself as a defender. And nowadays, yeah, so that's one of the rules I really didn't like. But my point was the the velocity today is so up. Uh, Left handers, especially, you know, you got Snell, you got Chapman, but it seems like every lefty now I'm watching on TV. You know, everybody's 93, 94. The elite guys are 95, 97.
2: Yeah, in- now that's now in, uh, with the uh, Padres, yeah. I, I don't know what it is, man. Those, As you mentioned, the, the, the guys, have they take care of their bodies. But I think the guys are learning this in college. They're having good mechanics. And when you do that properly, good mechanics, and the proper way to deliver baseball when you're – rocking back and dropping and driving your body towards the uh, hitter has a good chance that you're going to get some good velocity. And uh, obviously, you know, the release point is important too, but guys believe in the fastball, and, uh, you know, that, that's, it, this stuff goes in cycles. You know, years ago everybody was doing a split of fastball, yep. and now they've gotten back to the basics of being able to, you know, spot a fastball and throw a two-seam fastball when they're trying to get in this. You know, but I was watching the game yesterday, and I was watching Degrom when he came off the field. They checked his cap and checked his glove, man.
1: They need a metal I'm detector. Like, Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I know it. it's ridiculous. But, uh,
2: I don't know, man. It's it's the game we both love, Booney, and uh, hey, what can we do? I can only sit back and, and admire from afar. Now, it, it's some of the stuff I disagree with, like you mentioned. But uh, it's still baseball, and I'll always be in love with this great game. But
1: okay, and then you, but the the point I I wanted to make was you go from today's guys. Yes, velocity's up across the board, especially I'm noticing lefties. In my day, the '90s and the early 2000s, uh, the velocity was up, but there were the very few rare lefties that had that high velocity. You know, you had the Randy Johnsons, you had the Billy. Webb,
2: yeah, yeah, of course,
1: Houston. But it wasn't a a big thing. We had more Tom Glavins than we had Randy Johnson. Today's game, everybody's throwing hard. But my point is, Vita Blue was kind of an anomaly. There was, you were throwing hard like that when there was no other lefties bringing it like you. How were you so far ahead of the curve? Because I've heard guys from your generation, your era quoted saying Vita Blue's through the hardest I've ever seen. Okay, that's you know, <laughs> that's their time, but but from that's a left, pretty right. that's pretty so that's pretty high left. praise. You were ahead of your time, Vida. Yeah, that you had, the, you had your first know, name man. on your I, uni I, and I you threw the, harder than anybody.
2: I lived and died with my four fastball that I could spot. And I tell you what, Booney, once I got traded to the Giants in seven eight, my pitching coach was a guy named Herm Storett, and he said, Look, that four fastball is not going to survive here in the national league. And he was right that he – had me to start throwing a two seamer and you know, I, it was obviously two to three miles per hour slower, but I had the movement and it became a big part of my arsenal. But there's nothing like being able to throw a four seam fastball or a rising fastball into that hitting zone and you know there's a good chance that uh, you know, two thirds of the bat is gonna either be filed off or be a swing and miss. That that's 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 a good pitch to have and and believe in yourself that you can throw and spot it whenever you want to.
1: Okay, you keeping up to you, you keeping up to, to date with, with what's going on in the big leagues? Yeah, obviously you are. You're you talking yeah, about yeah, I, Degrom being big? Give me give me Vita Blues. I want Vita Blues take on. I've got my take. You know, non pitcher, obviously. Tell me about what's going on the sticky stuff the spider tack, whatever they're calling it. Now it, you guys have been, you guys have been doing this for a hundred years, but I want to hear Vita blues version of what he thinks of today. And, and this sticky situation, what, what's going
2: on? Well, if you don't get caught, you're not cheating. First of all, booty. So. <laughs>
1: Without a doubt. But, I know what you guys, guys are up to. I just can't yeah, catch you.
2: Guys, yeah. Guys figure this thing out and uh, it's, it's tricks of the trade as Gaylord Perry used to call it, you know, and, and if you can help yourself, give yourself the least amount of advantage, I, I hate to use the term expression cheating, but you're, you're, you're bending the rules a little bit. How about if I say I like that? I like that. But, uh, Hey, I, I guarantee you that there are guys that are still far and few in between, but still but might be some guys that are doctoring their bats too. Mm-hmm. So it's that that's the nature of the game. And I think they should leave it alone and and let, let the guys play when it's obvious that you're doing something, you get caught, then you should, you know, should be penalized for it. But for the most part, just let them play. Just let them play baseball.
1: What are you up to these days? I I know you're involved in a um, lot of charity work.
2: Yeah, I I do. I'm an ambassador for the Giants and I do a few things for the A's, but, uh, uh with the pandemic i've been uh it hasn't been a lot of stuff going on and i've got my shots even even though i do have my shots i don't like being around a lot of people groups of people kind of kind of get my attention especially those we don't know who's been uh vaccinated or not and uh you know of course i get out there and swing no golf club but uh i don't play a lot of golf these days i just sit around. I'm, staying at a friend's house. I'm dog sitting today. Uh, I have a friend that's in. she's an educator. She's an education. She started a school a couple of years ago. So I'm babysitting. I'm glad the dog hasn't, I'm sitting outside watching the wind blow the trees, man. I'm having a great day, Boone. And it's been quite a, a, uh, fun time for me to get in, uh, and express some opinion about my life and the game of baseball. And I appreciate you having me on your show, man. This has been cool. Well,
1: Vida, it's been a pleasure. Uh, awesome. Great career. Fun to talk to. I appreciate you coming on. And what we do at the end of each and every podcast is we bring back in Dan for a
0: question from the
1: fans.
0: Dano? Gentlemen, how are you?
2: What you got, Dan? What you got, man? What's up?
0: Get it to right. him, Danny. All right, Vita. This one comes from Jim in Oakland, and he wants to know this Vita. How many World Series do you think the swinging A's would have won if the team wasn't broken up by Mister Finley?
2: Oh boy, that's a good question. Well, all I know is we had the nucleus of a of a solid team. We had won those three in a row, and he had turned off the manager Dick Williams. He wanted out, uh, but in '74 we still had a. Uh, uh, Alvin Dark was our manager when we beat the Dodgers. I don't know. We could have possibly could have won that fourth one had we kept the nucleus of our team. Obviously, the pitcher with Catfish left and and went to the Yankees. Uh, he traded away Reggie Jackson, and and uh, that was just the downfall of it. But I like to think that we possibly could have won that fourth one.
0: Vita Blue, thank you so much for coming on the Boone Podcast.
2: You're very welcome, Dano. You're welcome, my friend. And uh, nice visiting with both you guys. Boone, good luck, man. And keep up good work. Give me a shot if you need anything.
1: You got it. Thanks, Vita.
0: Mailbag. Boone. you know that sound. Yeah, mailbag time, Dan. Mailbag. All right. This one comes from Mike in Kansas City. Brett, did you know much about Sabermetrics when you played the game? Uh, absolutely zero. No,
1: well, in my generation, you know, and I was the the uh, early two thousands. Uh, we didn't. Man, what I'm trying to I'm trying to give a the clearest answer. No, I wanted as much information as you could possibly give me. Stats, data, tendencies. Uh, what has he done? That you know, what has this guy done his last four or five starts? Uh, what has he most likely to go with in a big situation. Of course, we didn't call it sabermetrics there. It was uh, information. Give me as much information, as much intel as you could possibly give me, and, and then I'll decipher and use what what I think is, is prudent for, for the situation I'm in.
0: All right. Back into the mailbag we go. And this one comes from Juan in San Diego. Brett, how's your son doing this season?
1: Ooh. It's Rocky. It's Rocky. It's, uh, you know, I talk to him some days and I said, so you want to be a pro ball player? You know, it's and it's not just him. It's it's everybody that's going through it with what the country's gone through in the last year and and uh, everybody be at home. They The minor leaguers didn't get to play last year, so everybody's kind of getting thrown back into it after missing a year. But uh, he's taking his licks. He's learning. Uh, he's had a few good games, but, but he's had some tough times too. And, and as a dad, I can just sit there and support him and, and he'll figure it out. Like we all have to, uh, when you start playing professional baseball, all of a sudden it's, it's becomes a job a little bit and it's tough. And, and, uh, the best of the best find a way when, when they, when they get beat up and knocked down to get back up and keep going. And, and, uh, I think he'll do that, but it's definitely a learning process for him right now.
0: All right, that's going to do it for the Bread Food Podcast. my name is Dan Levy and I'm the technical director and producer of this year Boone Podcast. The executive producer of the Boon Podcast is Rich Herrera. Digital content all handled by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors and friends and make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, I am Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. See ya.